We're going to look at chapter 37. I've entitled this message, Where is God in Our Suffering? And we'll, we'll, again, we'll look at Genesis 37. When we read this story, it's really easy to look at it from a human perspective because God's not ever mentioned at all in this story. Um, and so we read it from a human, a human perspective, and we see that, that Joseph's story is, is a story of betrayal and suffering. Um, but as I thought about uh, Joseph's life, and really, just as I studied this this week, I was just more and more uh, convinced that this is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. And cause, because we do get to, to see it from a human perspective, all that's going on, but then we get to back up and we get to see how God sees things and, what, and how He is at work in this. And so that's what we'll do today. And so in this, in this uh, as I thought about Joseph's life, as I thought about my own life, as I thought about people that, I've, that are near and dear to me, that I truly love, I... It's, it's not hard to see that when, when, the, when the darkness of suffering sets in, it's not only difficult for us to hear from God and to see God, but it's also difficult for us to know that he is near, that he loves us, that he cares for us, and that he is, he is with us, that he's, that he's going to keep his promises, that he's really working all things together for good. So when the, when the circumstances of life become so overwhelming, and so pressing and so difficult, we often wonder and ask, God, where are you in all of this? Why are you allowing all of this to happen? You promised to never forsake us or leave us. You promised to always be with us. Where are you? And I can, and I can only imagine that as life circumstances became so dark and difficult for Joseph that he too asked God where he was. And in today's verses, we'll see that, that Joseph's brothers were scheming to kill him. To murder their own brother. We'll see that, that when they couldn't do that, they threw him in a pit. And then as some Ishmaelites were coming by, they, they decided to sell him into Egyptian slavery. And then in later chapters, we see where Joseph was twice accused of pursuing Potiphar's wife. And he was thrown in jail. And while in jail, he, he interpreted some dreams of the, key, of the chief cupbearer and the, and the chief baker. And a, and a deal was made that, that, that if, if those dreams were true, that his interpretations were correct, that uh, those men would be released from prison. And when they were released from prison, that they would then advocate for Joseph and get him released from prison too. But when they were released from prison, they forgot about Joseph. And Joseph stayed in prison that much longer. And so if we know anything about the life of Joseph, again, we know that it is a life marked by betrayal and suffering. But from God's perspective, things are much different. And this is where I want us to land today. This is what I want you to leave here believing today. That God does use the evil acts of people to bring about his plan of salvation. I want to say that again. That God does use the evil acts of people to bring about his plan of salvation. So this morning I want us to look at some of the family dynamics. We'll kind of look at how the family is, is set up and who, who's who. Uh, I want us to look at Joseph's, dream, Joseph's dreams in quite detail. And I want us to look at the, at the brother's evil act. And finally, I want us to attempt to answer a series of questions. Where was God in Joseph's life? Why did Israel need to hear the story? Why do we need to hear the story? And what should we do with the story? So let's get started by looking at the family. And we'll read Genesis 37, the first four verses there. And it said, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, 
his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his other brothers, they hated him. And they could not speak peacefully to him. And I think we can see in these first four verses that this family was a mess. And let, let's think about Jacob here. Jacob not only favored Joseph, but I really think when we think about uh, Jacob's relationship with his son Joseph, that, that, that Jacob really idolized Joseph. He was the beginning and the end for Jacob. All of his, all of his hope was in Joseph. And so, so Jacob loved Joseph more than any of the other children. He was born because he was born in his old age and because he was the child that was born of Rachel, his most precious wife. And Jacob did not try to hide the fact that Joseph was his favorite child. He, he made him, the text says, he made him a robe of many colors. And this robe of many colors literally means long with sleeves. And so this phrase is used only one other time in all of Scripture, and it's described the robe of Princess Tamar. And so while the robe was a, simple, a symbol of Jacob's special love for Joseph, it was also a symbol of royalty. And so without words, Jacob was telling everyone that one day Joseph will reign and rule over this family just by giving him that, that coat of many colors. And so just a quick application. Parents, don't show favoritism to your children. We have a running joke in our family. Our, our children often will sign the card, your favorite child. And it, it is just that. It's a joke. We, we laugh about it often. We love, we love our children uh, uh, equally. But even more so, don't, don't make your children an idol. Remember, remember on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. That he, that he is enough. And you think about, I don't care if, the, if the, your children are your idol or whatever your idol is, idols never stop asking for more from you. They continue to press and they ask for more and for more and for more. And what ends up happening when you, when, you, when you start to idolize something? Even your children, you become weary, become tired, because there's no end in sight. There's always something else. There's always something else to do. There's always some other place to be. And so I would, just, I would just warn you as we look at Jacob, that, that just to remind you that Jesus is enough. He's enough for you. He is enough for your children. So don't, don't let your, your children become your idol, your object of worship. Love them. Boy, they are a gift from the Lord. So love them and love them well. Teach them to love Jesus. Set that example for them to what it looks like to walk with Jesus. And sometimes it takes this. Slow down just a little bit. You don't have to do everything. Remember, you, in Christ Jesus, you have nothing to prove. Not to your children. Not to anyone else about your children. Jesus is enough for you and for them. So let's keep moving. So I believe the text shows that, that Jacob was an unwise father. And I believe the text shows that Joseph equally was an unwise uh, son. So let's look at Joseph. So we can, we can see in the, in the text that Joseph was a 17-year-old. He was in training to be a shepherd with his older brothers. And the text says that, that he often brings bad reports about, about his brothers to his father. So in other words, Jacob was a tattletale. 
He loved to find the bad things that were happening, and he would go tell on his brothers to his father. And, 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 and not only that, but the, but the text is telling us that, that he would find things that were wrong, maybe a little bit wrong, and then he would exaggerate those things to his father and make it worse than what it really was. So Jacob at this point, I mean, Joseph at this point is a very unlikable character in the story. He's immature, he's a tattletale, and he's an exaggerator of, of things, of the shortcomings of his brother. So let's meet the brothers. And so Joseph had 11 brothers, and Keith covered all their background last week, so I won't do that again. But thinking about Jacob, the father, and how he showed favoritism towards Joseph, giving him the sign of royalty with his coat with long sleeves, and meaning that one day Joseph would reign and rule over the family. And, and thinking about Joseph, the 17-year-old, immature tattletale, always giving bad and exaggerated reports about his brothers to his father. It's no wonder that the text says the brothers hated him. And I'm not surprised at all if they could not carry on a peaceful conversation at all with their brother. There was that much division. And so we can see that the family is a mess, and this mess was about to get much worse. The hatred was going to grow into jealousy. And so let's look at Joseph's dream, starting in verse 5. It said, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he, when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheave arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheave. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then, the, the, they dreamed, then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars are bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow, bow down ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were, were jealous of him. But the father kept this saying in mind. So in Joseph's days, dreams, dreams were important. And they were often revelatory of things that God was about to do, that things were about to come to pass. And, and, and notice that Joseph had two dreams. When I read that, I said, why did he have two dreams? And I love it when Scripture answers a question that I raise when I look at it. And because if you go forward to chapter uh, 41 and look at verse 32... Joseph is, is, is telling Pharaoh why, why he's had two dreams. And this is what he says. The doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God and God will surely bring it about. So in Joseph's day, if you had one dream, maybe that's all it was, was just a dream. But if you had two dreams about the same thing, it was, it was believed that that, that that dream, those events were going to pay, take place because they were set in place with God. And let's think about the interpretation of the dreams of the dreams. It's clear that the dreams mean that one day Joseph will reign over his family. He will reign and rule over his brothers, and one day his brothers will bow down to him. And the, and the brothers clearly understood that, that, that interpretation because they said, are you indeed to reign over us? And I think we also see in this text, Joseph is still very immature. In verse 6, he says, listen to me, I had a dream. And he's I don't think he's saying, brothers, I just had this really weird dream, and I would love for you to help me understand it. I think he's very prideful. He's saying, I had this dream, and listen about what I'm about to do to you guys. And so Joseph is really bragging about himself and about these dreams and one day what he will do. And I really think Joseph at this point uh, needed to learn that there are some things that God reveals to us that you just keep, you keep to yourself and you cherish them. 
In humility, Joseph should have received the dreams and kept them to himself, but, and, and he should not have bragged to his brother, older brothers about this dream, especially while he's wearing that, that coat with long sleeves. And so another application, brothers and sisters, in, in, our, in our pursuit to know Jesus and to love Jesus and to walk closer with him in, in a deepening relationship, as we read his word, he will often, he will often reveal things to us. Very special things, things that we didn't know in the past. And so my question is, is to you is what, what do you do when that happens? Do you become prideful? Do you, do you brag about the things that God has shown you? Do you use the things that God has shown you to start a fight with other brothers and sisters? Or do you cherish those things in humility? Joseph needed to learn that lesson. And so Joseph did not cherish this revelation that God gave him, rather he bragged about it. And it's no wonder the text again says they hated him even more. And then Joseph had another dream, and he doesn't relent again. He, he tells his brothers, behold, I've, had, I, I've dreamed another dream. And he's bragging once again, and Joseph continues to share this dream. And he says, behold, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars are all bowing down to me. And this interpretation is not difficult either. The sun is the, fa- I mean, the, sun is the father Jacob. The moon is the, is the father's other wife, Leah. And the 11 stars are the brothers. And one day they're all going to bow down to him is what this dream says. But after this second dream, notice in verse 10 that Joseph's got his father's attention. And Jacob now rebukes Joseph for, for telling this dream. He says, and now while Jacob does rebuke Joseph, I think because of pride, he sees that pride in his son. It also says he kept the saying in mind. Jacob didn't dismiss the dream. And that's important for us to know why. So you have to go back. Remember in, in, in chapter 28 when Jacob met the Lord in a dream at Bethel? And, Jake, and, and, and so Jacob could not dismiss the dream because he had, he had experienced such dreams with the Lord himself. And also, we can, he couldn't dismiss the dream because he knew that the Lord could proclaim such truths and see that they come through. Because you remember back in chapter 25, the Lord declared that the elder will sh- shall serve the younger. So Jacob knew how God had worked in his own life. And so he kept these sayings, he kept these dreams in mind, knowing that these things could come to pass. Now, the, the brothers' hatred of Joseph continued to grow. In verse 4, it says they hated Joseph. In verses 5 and 8, it said they hated him even more. And now in verse 11, our text says the brothers were jealous of him. And I really think jealousy is just a deeper and more, more passionate form of hatred. When jealousy takes over our heart. When jealousy takes over our heart, we, we begin to want things that aren't ours, and, and, that, and that hatred that's in our heart grows that much deeper. I think a good proverb there is 1430. It says, a, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but, an envy, but envy makes the bones rot. And so bro, the brother's hatred grew into jealousy, and their souls were rotting. Their souls were rotting, and they, and they, and they were finally going to take revenge against their brother, their own flesh and blood. And so the brothers take revenge, and Joseph is sold into slavery. Let's start reading there in verse 12. Now his brothers went to, the, to pasture their flocks, uh, the father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. 
So let's stop there and notice a couple things. Joseph is at home. His brothers are out working. Joseph is a 17-year-old. He's quite capable of working. But dad says stay home. And so dad is still showing favoritism to Joseph in this area by not making him work just like his brothers. And, while, and I, think, I think we also need to ask the question, why, does, why is Jacob concerned for the brothers? Why is he concerned for the well-being of his brothers? Why is he concerned for the well-being of the flock? And I really do think at this point it is a genuine concern for the, for the older brothers. Because you've got to remember that it, Shechem is just north of the Hebron Valley. And, it was, and that was a very dangerous place for Jacob and his family. Because that, it was at the Hebron Valley that Jacob's sons avenged the, the, the rape of their sister Dinah. And in that, in, that, in that valley, they murdered all of the men, and they plundered that city for everything that it was worth. So Jacob knew that that's where they were, and that was a dangerous place to be. So Joseph sets off on this dangerous journey, and let's keep reading. At the end of uh, verse 14, it says, So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And, and a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? He says, I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, they, are, they have gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. So Joseph obeys his father. He, he, finds his, he to go, sets out to find his brothers. He arrives in Shechem where he thinks they are, and they're nowhere to be found. And the text says that he's wandering the field, and all of a sudden, this man shows up. And he says, what are you looking for? And Joseph says, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me, tell me where they are. And the man tells Joseph that he overheard them talking and, and that they were going to Dothan. That is, that is where they're working. Y'all, this may seem like a really insignificant part of the story, but it's not. It is, it is, it is a beautiful picture of God's providence of him working all things together. And we often think that God's providence just applies to the big things in life, the rising of the sun, the setting of the sun, the, the stars in the sky, and, and all of that things. But I also want you to know that we see in the story that God's providence is very meticulous. He is involved in every minor details of our life. It's how much he loves us. He is always there. And this, so this man that overhears the brother speaking uh, and finds Joseph in the field and passes along that information, that's not just by chance. That's just not potluck. It is God at work in every detail in order to bring about his plans and purposes. Don't miss God's providence throughout this story as we study the life of Joseph. Don't miss God's providence in your own life. And we'll talk about that more later. Now, from Joseph's perspective, he's getting further and further away from home, further and further away from the protection of his father, and he's got to be wondering, what is going to happen to me? So let's keep reading. Verse 18, saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to, to, to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that, fierce, that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. Now, from the brother's perspective, here they are. They, they see this person coming over the horizon. I think the way I read it, it says from afar, they can't, they can't really probably picture his face, but what do they see? They see that coat with long sleeves. They see that royal coat, and they know 
that is Joseph. Before they can even see Joseph's face. And, and, and as, they, 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 as they see that it's Joseph coming and he's wearing that coat and he's probably coming to check on them and he's probably going to go back to dad and tell a bad report on us again, that, that this, this hatred that they already have in their heart begins to boil over and it turns into a desire to murder. And so they conspired to kill him, to throw him in the pit and to tell everyone that a wild animal ate him. They wanted to bring an end to their brother's life. What's going to happen? Well, Joseph's brothers, their own flesh and blood, murder their brother. Verse 21. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So Reuben... The oldest, the oldest child, the oldest brother, acts with great care and wisdom. And he intervenes to prevent the murder of Joseph. But he does more than that. He intervenes in such a way that he puts a plan in place that he can restore Joseph back to his father. But the question now is, will, will the brothers listen to him? Let's look in verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they, they stripped him of his robe and the, ro- the, and the robe of, of many colors, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him in the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what? Don't miss that. Now it's Judah leading the way, not, not Reuben. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it, is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And the brothers listened to him, and the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up out and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. So the brothers do, they do heed the leadership of Reuben. They don't murder. Um, they strip him of this royal robe and they throw him in a pit. And this pit was a cistern and is normally filled with water, but at this time it's not. We'll talk about that again in a minute. The brothers are, are sitting down to eat. They, say this, they, see, they see this caravan of Ishmaelites coming on their way to Egypt. And now Judah, instead of Reuben, now Judah steps in. And he begins to lead the way. And he says, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let, us, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Judah is reminding his brothers that if they murder Joseph, they're going to have to make up a story. And they're going to have to conceal his blood. That didn't work out too well for Cain when he killed Abel. Remember, he... That God confronted Cain after he murdered his brother Abel. And God told Cain, you tried to cover up this blood. You tried to cover up this evil deed. But this blood is crying out to me from the ground. And so Judah knew that God would see Joseph's murder. And so he comes up with an alternative plan. Still not a good plan. Still a very evil plan. But he comes up with a plan that's not murder. And he says, let us get rid of our brother by selling him into, the sl- into to these slave traders and we can make some money while we're at it. And so the, the brothers like Judah's plan, and they sell Joseph to the Israelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they, and they took Joseph to Egypt. I just think about what a tragic story this really is. 
And, and, and I also notice that as, as I read this, that Joseph doesn't say a word in this episode. He's, he's silent now. He's seven, remember, he's a 17-year-old who couldn't hold his tongue for the longest time, bragging about all of his dreams. But now he's sitting there in silence. Joseph was hated by his own family, was plotted against by his own family. He was betrayed by his own family. And now he sits in silent suffering. And I can only imagine that he's asking, God, what are you doing? What will happen to Joseph? Let's keep reading. So favoritism, pride, hatred, jealousy, revenge lead to sorrow and to salvation. Verse 29, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and he returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Then, then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a, a goat and dipped the robe in the blood and and they sent the robe to, of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he, and he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his, on his loins and, mour, and mourned for his son many days. And all of his sons and all of his daughters rose up to confront, not confront, to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, Now I shall go down to Sheol to my, son's, to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And so verse 29, it says that when Reuben returns, it's important that we remember that. When Reuben returns... And the reason it's important that we remember it is because Reuben wasn't present when his brothers were sold into slavery. So remember that. When Reuben finds out what has happened, he mourns. And, and I'm not sure if, if, if Reuben is mourning because he really loved Joseph or now he was going to have to give a report to his dad that Joseph was missing. And uh, Joseph, uh, Reuben was the older brother and he was going to have to give an account to his father. Um, and as, as, as I was reading this passage, I kept asking, well, will Jacob really believe the story that the brothers have concocted? And I was thinking to myself, I'll be really surprised if Jacob will remember the story. And why? Because Jacob tried a very similar story with, with his own father and his brother Esau. Remember, he had his, Esau's coat, and he tried to deceive his own father with that coat, and he did. And I, and, and I don't know if y'all are like me, but when I... When I when I've done wicked and, and sinned, um, when I see it happening around me that somebody else is doing, I'm, I'm suspicious of it. So I was really surprised that, that Jacob did not pick up on the story. And, and, but he doesn't. He believes the story and he mourns greatly. Joseph was his favorite child and he loved him dearly. And so while we see great sorrow from Reuben and from Jacob in the story, I think the text ends with some hope. And in verse 36 it says this, Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So God brings about his plan of salvation through evil deeds. And so this is a very tragic story. The family is broken. Joseph has suffered a great deal, and that suffering is real. And Jacob is now in a deep state of mourning. And so humanly speaking, it seems if God is completely absent. 
It seems like God is a million miles away and that he doesn't care. And so let's answer a, a series of questions. Where, where, is, where is God in this story? And I want us to look at in the, uh, Deuteronomy 31.8. And this is, when, this is what Roses wrote to, to Joshua. It says this, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know, more than know, I want you to believe that God is present, God was present in every detail of the story. Our great God, meaning that He is sovereign over all things, over the big things in this world, over the small things in this world. His sovereignty is both exhaustive and meticulous. So in today's text, we see God's sovereignty at play in every minor detail of the story. It is God who providentially gave Jesus, I mean, gave Joseph those dreams. It is, it is, it is God who put the man in the field, who knew where the brothers went and was able to tell Joseph where the brothers were. It was God who made sure that the pit that Joseph, that his brothers threw him into was empty, not full of water. So that Joseph could live. It was God who made sure Reuben was present when the other brothers wanted to murder him because he knew Reuben being the oldest brother wouldn't allow that to happen. And it was also God who made sure Reuben was absent when the brothers wanted to sell him into slave trade because God knew that Reuben would stop that and God didn't want that stopped. It was God who eventually saw Joseph. That Joseph would become a ruler in Egypt. And so just as Deuteronomy 31.8 says, our sovereign great God went before Joseph and he orchestrated all of these events, even the evil ones, to accomplish his plans and purposes, to accomplish his plan of salvation for the people of Israel. So at the end of the story, we're going to jump all the way there now, at the end of the story, Jacob dies, the father dies, and the brothers are now worried that Joseph is finally going to take revenge upon him. And I want you to listen to Joseph's words, and I want, I want you to be encouraged by Joseph's words. This, these are his words to his brother, Genesis 50, verses 19 and 20. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Brothers were completely responsible for their evil deeds. They did exactly what their hearts desired. But at the same time, God was there, and he was there every step of the way. And God used their evil deeds to bring about his plan of salvation. Why did Israel need to hear the story? Why did God see that Moses wrote this story? And I believe that the people of Israel read the story soon after the 400 years that they were in Egyptian bondage. In slavery there in Egypt. And the, and the people were often, the people of Israel were often bewildered as to why, God, are you allowing all of this evil to happen in our lives? Because it seems like it has continued on in their lives. Why, God, are you allowing all of this suffering to take place? And I think this story of Joseph is meant to provide a great deal of comfort to the people of Israel. Throughout the story, they, 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 through the story, they could trust, but even, even more than trust, they could believe that no matter how dark the circumstances were, that God loved them, and that he was at work for their good, and he could use evil acts, even evil acts. He can redeem all things to bring about his plan of salvation. 
no one, nothing could stop God from accomplishing his plans and purposes. So why, why do we need this story? And what do we need to do with this story? And so the, today the church is under great pressure. The ch- it's under pressure to conform to cultural norms. The churches are being pressed to be silent on significant matters. Christians around the world are being martyred. And individually, many of us face very deep and, and troubling times in life. Their trials are hard, they're pressing, and the suffering is hard. This story is meant to comfort us as well. In our persecutions, in our sufferings, I want you to remember that God is near. He is with you. And He is for you. It may not feel that way, but it's true. And this is how I know it's true. Because just like Joseph, Jesus was mocked by His own people. He was conspired against by his own people. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver by his own people. He was handed over to the Gentiles by his own people, just like Joseph. And he suffered in silence, just like Joseph. And just like God used the evil deeds of Joseph's brothers to save his people from a famine in the land, God used the evil deeds of Jesus' own people to save a people to himself. But here's the thing. Jesus is greater than Joseph. Unlike Joseph, Jesus never sinned. He was out without spot or blemish. And, he, and Jesus perfectly obeyed his father, even to the point of death on a cross. And Jesus rose from the dead and he defeated sin and all forms of evil that comes because of sin. And he defeated death and all, and, and, and all the death that occurs because of sin and because of evil in this world. And he defeated Satan, the one who causes all this evil in this world. Joseph saved Israel from famine. But through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus saves all who will ever believe in him. Believe that today. He saves them from eternal separation from God into a new life with new plans and new purposes. And so, brothers and sisters, evil is real in this present world. We often are puzzled by life's events and why things happen. As this story makes clear, none of it is too great for our good, great, sovereign sovereign God. What do we need to do with this story? We could leave here knowing the story, and that's good. We should know the story. But more so than that, I want you to believe the story. I want you to believe the next time suffering comes, and maybe some of you all are in the midst of it now. I want you to believe and trust that God is still near He hasn't abandoned you, that he loves you, that he'll never forsake you, and he'll never leave you. He's working all things together for good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for for loving us. Thank you for uh, your goodness to us. Thank you, God. Thank you for the story that reminds us that you are always at work and you are always for our good and that, and that you love us. Lord, may we find comfort in your goodness. May we find comfort in your love for us. Lord, as we suffer in this world, that we remember that you are there. And you always will be. Lord, help us to believe. I just know, but help us to believe that this is true. We ask this in your son's precious name. Amen.